So, um, we've been looking all semester at this idea of Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, what's crazy is that we, um, tonight, are looking at this text from 1 Kings chapter 6, which admittedly is a bit boring to read because it's architecture plans for the temple. Now, my hope for you tonight is to show you Jesus from this text. I hope that you will see Him clearly in the midst of this. And some of y'all are going, good luck, how's that going to happen? But my hope is that God will help me to do that so that you will see Him, uh, that you will see him clearly and, and very, very beautifully as well. Now, um, I want to start by this, with this sort of illustration. Um, I don't know about you, but I know I have at least one hour of my life that I will never get back because I have wasted it watching The Bachelor. Anybody else? Okay. Actually, it amounts to several hours, if I'm being quite honest, because I have a wife that loves it, and she's always telling me, hey, come in here and watch this, so-and-so. So anyways, um, yes, I think I'd be in bad, a bad state of affairs, because I can probably name the probably last four or five candidates, but anyways. Okay, guilty pleasure done with, confession, okay. But listen, how about this? Every time some pretty little dame gets kicked off the show, and they do that little exit interview with her as she is leaving the show, you guys can probably write the script of what she's going to say. And without fail, these words come out of her mouth. Do you know what they are? Does anybody want to take a stab? It's pretty, it's pretty generic. If you've ever seen it, you can guess. You can say it out loud. Okay, everybody's shy, that's fine. How about this, ready? I thought that we had a connection. Am I right? I thought we had a connection, but oh well, I was wrong. Listen, she had longed for and subsequently thought that a connection existed. It was what she was hoping for. She was longing in those moments to really connect with Juan Pablo or whoever else. Now listen, as you can imagine, it's not just slighted bachelorettes who long for connection. Since the beginning of time, people have longed for relationship. And here's the thing, not just with people. See, if you were to go to a bookstore today and you were to go to the spirituality section, you would see books abounding, talking about how to find a connection with God. And I've actually talked to several and many of you through the years of me being a campus minister here where you'll have the conversation something like this, you know, I just don't feel really, really connected right now to God. There's something going on in my life. Maybe it's something that you've realized that you have done, or you know, maybe something has been done to you, or some series of events has left you saying, you know, Ryan, I'm just not close to God these days, and I don't know what to do about it. You see, I don't think it would be a stretch at all to say that a longing to connect with God is part of what it means to be human. We long for connection with God's presence. Not just merely the idea of Him, but actually God Himself. But if you're like me, this connection, this trying to find relationship with Him always seems to be problematic or difficult at some point in our lives. And as we'll see tonight, the reason for that problematic experience is because that there is a real problem that exists in the relationship. One that is being fixed nonetheless, but certainly one that exists to being true. Listen, 
I think you should listen tonight for this reason. Because this is something that we all can relate to. The Bible tells us that real and lasting intimacy with God can be had. Therefore, listen to me, that longing, that aching in your gut, that gap that you feel is meant and can be filled. Listen to what Blaise Pascal, the Christian philosopher, once said. He lived in the early 17th century when he said this. This is where you've heard it, if you've heard some derivative of it. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. And it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. What is given is not some trite, cliche, Hallmark card kind of thing. So I ask you, are you interested in hearing about that tonight? This is what the text tells us. That King Solomon, David's son, is now king in Israel. The year is somewhere around 967-ish B.C. And God's people have long been established and settled in the land that God has given them. And in light of this, God tells Solomon to build God a temple. This would be the place where God's presence would be on earth in a very intense and acute way. You see, they had longed for God to be with them in a permanent way, something that you and me desperately long for as well. The temple, therefore, shows us three important things. The temple, the text we read tonight, shows us first our design. And here's what I mean by that. That we were made for intimate fellowship with God. Secondly, it shows us not only our design, it shows us our problem. Namely, that fellowship with God really is frustrated. It's angsty. It doesn't feel complete yet. That's what I'm trying to get at. And then lastly, that God shows us, and the text shows us, God's own promise. Namely, that He will do everything necessary to restore that fellowship. So our design, our problem, and God's promise. They're there in your sheet. I hope you see them. Let's take a look at the first of these. Our design. Namely, that we were made for intimate fellowship with God. Now, when we think about the temple, I think it's helpful to consider the temple underneath three main headings. Okay? So that you can understand what is going on. So, can you think with me for a second about a tripod and how you need all three legs to hold things up? So each one of these legs is going to be an S word that you're going to need to understand what the temple is all about. And the first of the S words is the word structure. And I want to show you a little bit about what this temple is, te- the text is telling us about how the, the temple is actually laid out. I've pulled this schematic offline. It's not the best. You can kind of see it. But I want to show you three main areas here on this, um, uh, about this temple. First of all, you would have had this outer area where you see these basins and this altar over here on the right. That would have been known as the temple courtyard. Okay? That's sort of the first main area. Secondly, you see this area where this little dude is standing. That's a priest, apparently. He's standing in this area called the holy place. Okay? You would have found there that big candelabra or the lampstand. I think it's somewhere. Yeah, there they are right there. The lampstand's there. And also you would have found the bread of the presence in there as well. So that's the second area. The last area is the one that I want you to pay a particular attention to. And it's behind that holy place. And it's called the most holy place. 
You can see it. It's, the wall has been kind of cut away there. You'll see these winged creatures back in there. Those were known as cherubim, and they overshadow or cover over the ark, the ark of the covenant. So this is a picture of the structure, that first leg of what the temple looked like and what is described here in this text. I'm helping all you visual learners out. That's all I'm doing right now, okay? So there's the structure. Secondly, not only the structure, I want to tell you about the story of the temple, okay? You see, the temple in 1 Kings chapter 6 is not the first expression of this dwelling place of God, okay? In other words, the temple has a story. Before it was permanent bricks and mortar that we just saw, there existed what was known as the tabernacle. If you're familiar with your Bible, the tabernacle antedates or prefigures the temple. It was basically a temple in, in sheet form. When God's people were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they had to have something that they could collapse like a Celtie tent and take with them. That's what the tabernacle was. And it had the same format. Courtyard, holy place, and most holy place along with it. But guess what? Even the tabernacle wasn't the first expression. The first expression of this temple, do you know where it is found? In Genesis chapter 1 in the Garden of Eden. Why is that so important? Because I want you to begin to see that what we saw just a moment ago, that most holy place, where the most holy place was, was where God's presence was said to dwell. It's what we see in the text of Genesis chapter 2 where it says that God walked with man in the garden. His presence was there. Now listen, I have admittedly asked you to do a lot of work putting on your hat to think about the Bible for a second. But it's going to be imperative so that you know where we're going later on. The last thing I want to say is not only the structure of the story, the last S being the symbol of the temple. You see, the structure in this story tells us something much greater. It symbolizes something more. And what is that? And here it is. A temple is a place where God Himself is said to dwell It is His living place. You have heard of MTV's cribs? Well, the temple was God's crib. Especially the Holy of Holies. Do you know, the Holy of Holies was a perfect cubic um, room. It was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. A perfect cube. To sort of denote perfection. The place where God would live. Here's the thing. The temple is in the midst of God's people. And that's what I want you to hang on to. Listen. I want you to see that the temple, being in the midst of His people, was to remind and symbolize for His people that God was with them. What's my summary? At the heart of the temple, whether it be Eden, Tabernacle, or the temple in 1 Kings 6, is this profound truth that God has made us for deep connection and fellowship with Him. The geographical location of the temple amongst the people is a symbolic, spiritual way of saying that God is with us. Does that make sense? Does that make sense what I'm getting at? That's what you must see. Now, why is this so important for TCU students? Let's get practical. Let me ask you this. What do you think is at the core of Christianity? Is it 
primarily what you do for God. You see, at the core of Christianity, is it about you being God's little worker bees to do stuff for Him? Or do you understand Christianity to be, at its core, about fellowship with God? You see, how you understand and answer that question, wherever you come down on that, will, show, will have profound implications. You see, the temple reminds us about what the words of Augustine tell us. That Augustine, when, Augustine, when he says, You have made us, O Lord, for Yourself. Before you do anything for God, I want you to see this. That you were made to be with Him. That He made you for Himself. You see, God does not see you primarily as a worker bee to go out there and be useful for Him primarily. I'll put it this way. Your main function is to not go do stuff with God. Go do stuff for God. At your core, do you know what you have been made for? Fellowship. Delight. Let me put it very, very poignantly. He makes men and women as the objects of His own supreme delight to be with forever. That is stunning if you ask me. And He will stop at nothing to see that come to pass. Listen, are you anxious spiritually? Do you feel like you've always got to try to keep it together so you come to things like RUF to sort of soothe your conscience? Can I just tell you, you can stop. If you are a Christian, you can rest. Because Jesus delights in you long before you do the first thing for Him. And that ought to liberate you tonight. Because it means that you can eliminate from your vocabulary, you know, if I were just a better Christian, then God would want more to do with me. Because what this message is telling us, what the temple shows us is very poignant. Let's go to our next slide, Michael. The temple shows us that at the heart of who we were made to be is a people who have and live out a deep, intimate relationship with God. The reason that you long to connect with God is because you were made that way. That's what the temple shows us about who we are. And that's just the beginning of what it shows us. But it also shows us something more. It shows us our problem. It reminds us that things are not what they ought to be. The temple, in other words, shows us that our connection with God really is troubled or frustrated. And so we turn there now to take a look at this problem. Namely, that the temple shows us that there is fracture in the relationship that we have with God. If we go back to that structure of the temple, you don't have to turn there on the uh, screen, but you'll remember the two main inside areas. You had the holy place out front, and then back behind it you had this most holy place, and there was a partition in that picture that was cut out. And if you'll remember in 631, in this text that we read here today, let me just read this for you. 631, it tells us that there was a partition between the two uh, layers or two... Areas, two rooms. Listen to what it says. 
It says, For the entrance of the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood. The lintel and the doorposts were five-sided. He covered those two doors of olive wood with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. He overlaid them with gold and spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. Look, this physical barrier between the two rooms was a symbolic or was a symbol of a real barrier that existed between God and man. And what is that barrier? Here it is. It is your and my sin. That's what the temple is showing us. In fact, listen to this. In Jewish practice, once a year, and only once a year, the great high priest, who was like the head priest of all the priests that worked that temple space that you saw, once a year, he would go behind that temple, that, that partition, and he would make atonement for the sins of the people by bringing the blood of an animal and sprinkling it on that ark. Now, here's the deal. That was craziness. Because if you went into that temple, that that holy of holies, and you were not the high priest, do you know what that meant for you? Death. In fact, if you were the high priest and you did things wrong, if you offered the sacrifice wrong, do you know what they did? They tied a rope around your waist. Because if you died while you were in there, they weren't coming and getting you. They were pulling you out. Because they knew to go behind that partition was certain death. Because of God's real presence back there. And our sin, the two do not mix, ever. And so the partition was there to act as a barrier between them. No one in their right mind would dare go into the Holy of Holies unauthorized. This further symbolized the real problem was man's sin. Remember this with me. Do you remember when Adam and Eve, when they ate in the garden, remember that first temple, they were cast out from God's presence from the garden. The Scripture tells us this in Genesis chapter 3. God drove out the man... And at the east of the Garden of Eden, He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So, as a result of man's own glory seeking, trying to do it on his own, a barrier is put in place there in the garden in the presence of God, a little cherubim, an angel. Why? Because God didn't love man anymore? No, absolutely not. But because real sin is the, in the presence of a real God will always mean death. What was that barrier that kept them apart? It was a cherub. And did you notice in our text what was on the door that separated those two rooms? It was a cherub. As if to say, this is pointing back to what the problem really was. Listen, here's what I want you to see. The irony is at the core of every sin, and in every sin since, has been this desire to connect and find fellowship with God. We long to know that we matter, so much so that we go our own way, seeking to define our lives in a thousand different foolish ways. And rather than look to God for it, we look out into the created world. Things like giving us status. We look at things like beauty, right? to try to know that we're worth something. We look at popularity. If I can just be accepted by these sort of people, if I get the right job, guess what? Then I'll finally be somebody. But I want to suggest that you listen to this quote 
from an author named Bruce Marshall. Listen to what he says. Listen. He says, The young man that rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. Do you see what he is saying? The thing that he hopes he will find at the brothel, intimacy, connection, pleasure, will not only not be found there, but can only be found in God alone through Jesus. Have you ever considered this for yourself? What is that deep, that deep, deep longing that you long for that drives your life? You see, we long, as C.S. Lewis once said, to be welcomed into the very heart of things, but we're kept out. You see, is it a desire for success? Some of y'all are about to graduate. Why? Why is it? Why is it that you need to be successful? Is it because you need to know that your life counts? That it matters? You see, if it is, what happens when you're not successful? Then are you nothing? I've talked to students time and time again who come to TCU. They try to be successful in school and they're met with some class where they can't hack it. And the old adage of if you do your best, you'll succeed just doesn't hold up anymore. Has that been true for any of you? Now what? What happens if your identity isn't being successful? Are you nothing now? You are if you look to success because you failed your God. How about this? What happens if you're actually successful? How long does that last? before you must go on to something else, right? To give you your fix. You know who else gets this? The entire porn industry. They get this. Here's why they know it. Ready? In one year, they will make more money than the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, and the, uh, M- N- and the MLB combined because they know that people are made for intimacy. And yet they promise pseudo-intimacy, and pseudo-connection at every turn, and they can't deliver on those promises. And they know it. And it works because they know you. They know that you long for intimacy. They know that you long for connection. And so they offer up fool's gold for you, and you keep coming back to it. Listen. Deep down, you long for a connection that a series of ones and zeros can never give you. And what this text is telling us about the temple is that that dividing wall reminds us that we are cut off, not only from God, but from our own happiness. Why the two together? Because we were made to have God as our happiness. This desire to do life with anything at the center of your life except what God It's what the Bible is calling sin. But hear me well, it is also what is called ruin. You will make a misery of your life by doing so. So, let's make a move then to our last point. By His grace, God will not leave things this way. In fact, if we have been shut out and we can't do anything to get back into things, what must happen? And the temple is going to tell us that that wall gets shattered from the inside out. The wall gets busted from the top down, so to speak, because of God's great grace for us. One of the things that we'll need to see about God's promise in this temple is that 
the temple acted as a pointer to something greater. If you look at verse 13, you see this. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people. In other words, the temple reminds us of the forever presence of God with His people. But how can this be? Do you not see the tension? There's a barrier, yet I'll always be with them. And this can only mean one thing. That God Himself will shatter the wall. If you look at the book of Revelation in chapter 21 and verse 16, you will see this amazing text. You will read this about this symbolic measurements of the new heaven and the new earth. Listen to what they say. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod. 12,000 stadia, and here it is, its length, its width, and its height, all equal. Sound familiar? What else was a perfect cube? God's very presence in the Holy of Holies. In other words, the Apostle John is looking at the entire created order, saying its entirety is filled with God's presence, but there's more. In Revelation 21-22, a few verses later, we see this. We see this. He says that I saw no temple in the city, for the temple was or is the Lord God Almighty in the Lamb. What is he saying? The temple is gone. It is done away with. Why? Because God Himself is the temple. We've said all along that the temple represents God's presence with His people. But why would it be no more? And here it is. The temple is no longer needed because what it had pointed to all these years has finally come to pass. God's mission, filling the earth with His glory, what was frustrated in the garden, now stands complete. And God's presence, what was frustrated in the garden, is now fully realized. This, y'all, is absolutely unreal. Like, just stop for a second and look, get this in your head and heart. John is saying that in new heavens, new earth, there is not one square inch of that entire entity where God will not be with you, not just in some mitigated way, but face to face forever. Do you believe that that's what's in store for you? That is what the temple is telling us. This is why G.K. Beale can nail it when he says this. There is nothing in the final new creation barricading the all-glorious presence of God from all of His people. Listen, I want you to begin to see this. That one, when you begin to look at the temple... And the story that it tells, it is a picture of God's incredible grace to us because the temple shows us that God Himself will do everything necessary to make things right once again so that 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 hole in your gut, that gap in your being, that longing to connect will finally be complete. That's what the temple is all about. But there's one thing we have to look at, and this is where we'll close. How? How? How in the world does this happen? How can this glorious promise of God being with His people forever 
in ways that we can't begin to imagine come to pass. You see, there's a barrier, remember? Does God just wink at man's sin? Well, to do so would compromise His holiness. Well then, is He actually going to do it or just be done away with man forever? Well, to do that would compromise God's great love for us. How then will the barrier be dealt with? And the answer comes to us in a quite amazing way. On the cross, as Jesus is dying, the writer of Hebrews tells us that in His death, Jesus does this. That He entered once for all into the holy place. The Greek with their word being hagia, which means what? The holy of holies. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. And as He did so, breathing His last, on the cross, the Gospel writer Matthew tells us something else happened. He takes us back to the temple, to that partition wall between the holy place and the holy of holies. And do you know what Matthew tells us? Listen, and behold. Literally, look, pay attention. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, as if it were God Himself going, rip, enter now. We're together forever. The barrier is removed, not by us, but by God. Don't you see then that what the temple is all about is about God's presence with us? It's about Him being with you and with me. The Scripture tells us that our relationship with Him, while secure, often though it may not feel that way, is incredibly, incredibly, objectively secure. The death of Jesus reminds us that there is coming a day where we will see God face to face with nothing interrupting us, nothing to get in the way ever again. Jesus does all of this because of His great love for His people. Listen, Christian, Christian, This is what you already have. This is what is true of you right now. And if you are considering Christianity, I want you to see that this is what is on offer for you right now. For both of us, the ache can go away. The longing can be met. Now, certainly in part, but in one day, in totality and in full. Because God has done everything in Jesus to be with His people forever. And He just like that He promised He would.